kind of give an elevator pitch for the movie. It's you're just like, well, it's about this caretaker who can change into a, a succubus who sends out flying silver balls to kill people <laughs> through the long halls of the mortuary. And if you cut his fingers off, they turn into flying insects and he bleeds baby food. <laughs> <laughs> Listening to Paleo Cheese Podcast, Episode 8, Part 2, Phantasm, with special guest Jeremy Wagner. All right, let's talk Phantasm. All right, let's do it. All right, directed by Don Cascarelli and also written by him. He also uh, wrote the screenplay for Bubba Hotep, by, uh, which yeah. is written by Joe Lansdale. Which rhymes with Hansdale. Hansdale, yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> You know, I was gonna give a synopsis. I don't, I don't, I don't think that I'm. I will. It's just, it's a, uh, it's a little all over the place, <laughs> and it's the adventure is fun. I mean, you know, obviously you're gonna have spoilers. Yeah. I mean, it's an old movie. It's from '79, so, uh, but it, it stars Reggie Bannister and Angus Scrim, as well as David Hasselhoff as Jody. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I kidding. knew it's coming. <laughs> You know, he, he looks like Hasselhoff and that is so hilarious. Yeah, so I saw this. I had no idea how old I was. I saw it a long time ago, but I do remember the trailer on TV in the 70s, and it was scary, man. Just the image of the that mortuary, those hallways, and then you'd see the ball. Yeah. I don't remember too much more other than just seeing those images and being really fascinated mm-hmm. um, by that. I don't, I don't have a, like a... I, I do have a, like a deep nostalgia associated with this movie. When I put it on, it's like this, I wouldn't call it a guilty pleasure, but it's just, it's like a feel good movie for me. You know, it's got that seventies aesthetic. Yeah. It's got that music. It's got the, you know, the, the hair, the feathered hair and all that stuff. And it's just, it takes me back to, you know, being a kid. And so since you, this is your first time seeing it, Jeremiah. Yes. I, I wanted to ask you the, the whole initial 10, first 10 minutes thing. Like when you were watching it, <laughs> And you put it when, on, when and you're you ten minutes in. Last week, or yeah, yeah I, he I watched it this week for the first time. Okay, wow, yeah. I, no, I'm I'm very interested that to, <laughs> this is cool yeah. man, to talk so, to someone who just saw it for the first time. Yeah, my wife, her reaction, uh, she was like, "I don't even know what I just watched." You know what I mean? <laughs> but uh, but I, I I'm the guy that likes eraser head, so this kind of a movie. Um, <laughs> it, it, I, let's just say that I'm not at all bothered by this kind. In fact, it was fun. I felt that it was fun. I didn't have that like scared feeling. Um, yeah. And I don't want to get ahead of myself with this, you know, focusing on the first 10 minutes, I guess. But for the first 10 minutes, right, it was nostalgic because, you know, the, the few scary movies that I watched as a kid, you know, watching Friday the 13th and stuff like that, uh, there was always uh, boobs and stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like there was always just yeah. kind of this. It, it was always there, and there was always kind of this teenage love thing going on. And this one starts in a cemetery, and I'm like, that's macabre. You know, that's a, a weird yeah. tension. You know, on the one hand, it's like, wow, look what's happening here. And that guy was way out of his league. Yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> the guy had like the mutton chop stash. You know, the yeah. the, the, the chops. You know, and it was real, real scraggly. But he was hooking it up. And the thing is, at first, my, my first thought was, you know, this guy's hooked up fat right now. I mean, he's like really enjoying life. But then I realized not only is he going to get killed, but he's ultimately with a dude who is <laughs> yeah. not. It, it's it, it's like a, it's almost yeah. like a, a shape-shifting thing. Like, a, what's a fantasy? Right. right? And so you have this, this crazy thing right from the beginning. And the music, man, right from the get-go. Yeah. The music yeah. is just so iconic. Mm-hmm. I just, I absolutely loved it. And I, you know, I remember we did an episode about the visitor not long ago. And I talked about how I liked the, the visitor soundtrack. Chad really loved it. He, he gave it a 10 stars. Um, <laughs> we don't even have that rating. He was like, we're going 10 all the way. No, he didn't, he didn't really care for it, but I, I thought it was great. But then when I heard this, I said, this is great. Like this, this soundtrack. It's so good. And it, it went with the mood, the feel, the tone and textures, right? And I just felt that it, it, it complemented it so amazingly. And so yeah. I, was, I was right away hooked in, right away. I thought, I was like, okay, I'm in. 
you know, you mentioned to me before that you thought that the there was a similarity between Phantasm music, which is basically one song played at different tempos, and but you said it was similar to The Visitor, and I man, I do not see that. It was it was the era. I wasn't saying okay. the beat or anything like that, but the era, like the the feel one gets when they pop that music on. Okay, like and you where can it tell brings that person. You can tell that it's it's created a, from a certain time and space. Like if you okay. if when you listen to music in uh, Blue Velvet, and it was the right. same thing with this that I said, okay, I'm mentally put in 1978. Like this is where I am. 1977, 1978. The golden year I was born. So obviously it's dope, you know, but like it was just a cool thing, you know, and I could almost imagine my mom listening to that as she's pushing me out. I mean, it was a really amazing, <laughs> amazing thought. The beginning of that movie where it shows, you know, the, the blonde haired chick and then it shows the tall man. You know, it's weird. I, I, I saw this movie. I've seen it like two or three times. And then earlier this year, like three or four months ago, I watched it again because I hadn't seen it in a while. And I had completely forgotten or or just didn't catch it that the tall man was basically, that was like his succubus form, you know, mm -hmm. that yeah. he uses twice in there. But it's 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 done strangely. So, I, you know, I guess you could probably miss it and not realize that this blonde chick is also, you know, the tall man and like the, you know, what is essentially his seductive, you know, succubus shape-shifting yeah. form. It's his feminine <laughs> side. <laughs> this might sound like a stretch, but uh, on the subject of the the female form of the tall man, I think the the character name was the Lady in Lavender. It reminded me as a kid. Well, let me tell you this. In all fairness, I didn't. So I didn't see Phantasm until it first came to television. So ever since I read Jaws as a kid at in grade school, nineteen seventy five. I read all my mom's horror and mystery books. So she had all these Alfred Hitchcock anthologies. She, when Stephen King first came out, she was the first person I ever knew that had Stephen King carry. And one novel I read again in grade school what, that my mom had was the hardcover first edition of Peter Straub's ghost story. Wow. To this day, all these years later, and again, it, this might sound like a stretch, but I swear, the lady in lavender is a tall man. It reminded me of Ava Gowley, if I remember that right, the character from Ghost Story, who is this vengeful spirit later named Alma, who, and she also takes these different forms. That, that always freaked me out, that the tall man was this chick that was seducing dudes and getting naked and shit. No, it was a weird. For one, forget the ghost story thing that I'm thinking of. That that like thinking that way with my overactive horror kid imagination. Just in a script that's fucking weird, man. <laughs> you know. Yeah. But as we talk more about the movie, there's a lot of things about the movie that are out there. But yeah. that, that the way that opens, like you said, man, like they're getting hot and heavy in a cemetery. And boom, next thing you know, if you remember the kid, Mike, you know, he's running around, you know, he's out in these woods. He's got a knife. He's in this mud pit where hands are coming up. He gets yeah, out of that. Yeah. He sees that chick, you know. Yeah. I'll tell you, as a horny kid in the 70s, <laughs> early 80s, I was like, she right. might kill me, man. But you know what? I'd like to see her get naked. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. <laughs> I love movies, coming of age movies where the parents are are like completely absent. Uh, like yes, uh, it, it follows does that big time. Halloween. I mean, there are little bits of parents in Halloween, but just for a second, you know, like the sheriff. River's Edge is another one where uh, the parents are essentially, you know, for the most part absent. I don't know what it is about that. I just I, I think it's because it's just something that allows you to allows the kids to like break the rules and be more. Um, you know, parents aren't there to kind of get in the way of their adventure or to save them or anything. Yeah. I swear to God, Chad, you and I are like, like I say this to John Bowden. I've said it for years. Like we're like uh, brothers from other mothers, man, because what well, you and I recently via Facebook had a little exchange on River's Edge and stuff. Yeah. You said right. about these young people who uh, are parentless or if they have parents that are out of the picture. That that also connected with me when I so when I saw the movie I was about 
nine or 10. So I came from, my parents got divorced super early when I was young, like actually right around that year, right? Right around 78, 79, which coincidentally is like when Halloween and Phantasm came out. And uh, so my mom had custody of my younger sister and I, I've got one sibling and she worked two jobs to pay all the bills and everything. And she was so poor, she, she couldn't afford a babysitter. We were really young kids. You're going to be home alone and I expect you to, you know, be responsible and whatever. And so I can relate to like, my parents didn't die, but like the the kid, Mike, was a little bit older yeah. than me in Phantasm. So watching everything he went through, I just could relate to because I, when my mom wasn't around, I was out exploring and, and getting into stuff that like kids nowadays, you know, would, would be freaking make the news or something, you know. Mm-hmm. Local boy found putting uh, freaking quarters on the train tracks, parents arrested for negligence. You know what I mean? Like, I was all over the place. So when I saw that kid, Mike, in Phantasm, I felt for him. Like, you know, his parents weren't there. Um, I didn't have an older brother, but I always had older friends or whatever. And I was always like, like Mike's older brother, uh, Jody, I think is the character. Yeah. Name, mm-hmm. Right. That that whole thing clicked with me. And I, and I also felt, you know, that that terror, just everything like Mike's observations on stuff, you know, he sees the tall man carrying this casket under one arm or whatever and throwing it into the back of a hearse and all this creepy shit going on. Like, I'm like, holy shit. And before I forget on topic, but something you said, Jeremiah earlier was that music gets ingrained with you. And I think in that, right in that, that, that window of time, Halloween, 1978, Phantasm 79, the music in those two movies are unforgettable. And when I hear them, one, I love them. But when I was a kid, the music terrified me. The freaking music in Halloween terrified me. And I couldn't get it out of my head. And as a horror kid, I like being scared shitless and terrified. And uh, that music's brilliant. And and Phantasm, that music to me is, is brilliant. And it brings me... Right back to 79, 80 when I first saw the movie. Being a kid, that nostalgic lens of of the 70s, the way the, the film looks and everything. It's just, uh, that's magical to me. Yeah, so, you know, beginning, the beginning of the movie, like we're talking about, you realize something's wrong. I mean, you know, Morningside Cemetery, by the way, I thought was a brilliant name. For the cemetery. It's a creepy name, Morningside Cemetery. And then, you know, you get into the mortuary. And then the more you learn of what's going on, you know, we're talking about how it was kind of out there that the tall man was turning into this succubus woman form to seduce guys to kill him. But the tall man was, it was this mortician, you know, that took the dead on earth and transported them to this other world and and made them these slaves these little jawa looking slaves and uh that had a profound effect on me like years later when broken hope did our third album one of our the song we ever first ever did a music video for for mtv was a call song called into the necrosphere and that was directly influenced by the movie phantasm and it's Mm -hmm. about it wasn't about the tall man, but it drew this, that influence. And I, and the lyrics I wrote were about this evil kind of mortician dude who had these otherworldly skills that when he did, he did these crazy autopsies on these cadavers, he could enter this realm of the dead, which was like uh, this on the other side. It was really crazy, but that was influenced by the tall man. So as a kid, I'm just thinking back when I first saw that movie, I'm like, what the hell's going on? This dude, like when you see Mike go through those two uh, cylinder things that is the gateway and he's like fucking flying through the air and you see this red world in this 
miles long line of these little Jawa slaves, which are human corpses reduced to these slaves. It's like you're trying to get your head around that. What the hell is going on? And then yeah. Jody or Reggie, one of them grabs him by his belt, pulls him back out. Dude, I mean, like, oh, I don't know, dude. Just thinking about it brings me back to when I saw it. There's no movie like Phantasm. One word, brilliant, man. Just brilliant. And I, I like, I couldn't think of that shit. The whole part about the mortician and, and the scariness of this. And I, I thought it was interesting when reading about the background, it was saying that Coscarelli had two starting points when he set to work on the script. And I'm, I'm quoting. First, he wanted to do something about the potential horrors that lay behind the closed doors of a funeral parlor. And I thought about that for a second. Ah, a second. Ah. I said, that's that's dreadful. That's a he scary that thing. In an interview. This may have been from IMDb. It's possible. Oh, okay. That's he, cool as hell. I, I never. Yeah. That's awesome. And it said, most of us have no real idea what morticians actually do after all. They could be up to all sorts of diabolical shenanigans in those embalming rooms. And the second was a nightmare he had as a kid in which he was chased down in en these endless white corridors by a flying silver ball equipped with a large needle. After that, and following a sort of dream logic, again, two years before David Lynch's Eraserhead, the script came together. So I thought... It's interesting wow. that he's invoking these childhood dreams and these childhood fears. But also when you were talking about uh, grief, you know, and like the way that stuff that was kind of going on at the time with you and the, the societal difficulties, right? That mm -hmm. you're with the family and stuff. And in the film, I, I read somewhere, it was actually a guy, it was a video by Matt Draper on YouTube. And he, he cited a, a person by the name of Eric Orbe. I guess Orbe's dad was murdered uh, when he was a kid. Um, and so he was talking about the question about grief and about horror as a genre. And Dr. Stephen Mor uh, Moran's working at the Childhood Violent Trauma Center at Yale University. And he said this when talking about grief and horror and things like that, that a lot of times uh, it's therapeutic in the sense that you choose to watch these films. You know, you can turn away, you can turn down the volume, you can experience the level of arousal, the somatic sense of fear, and know in the back of your mind that it's not forever. We're sometimes drawn compulsively to the very things that scare us as a method of mastering them. And I thought, that's profound. And I think that this movie, looking in hindsight, right, and this, this blending of dream and reality that's kind of a play and almost a mystery in a way, um, in part because they had to cut like two hours of or two and a half hours of footage, right? It was a, or an hour and a half. It was originally like three hours long. Oh, um, really? Oh, yeah. So it was originally three I, hours long. Yeah, like I think the theatrical cuts ninety minutes or something. Yeah, they yeah. said that wow. yeah, it was like ninety minutes because, wow. and that's that's why you know some people could complain and say, well, character development was shallow or this or that, and that's sure. because ninety minutes was taken out of this film yeah. and but they were saying that there's a, a a theory right a idea of the film that says that this is about dealing with grief and the loss of family not just the parents but the brother you know and the potential that he's he's right. leaving and stuff like that and did he really leave did he die like you know all this stuff and that it's really about the inner workings of facing the fear, the fear of loss and accepting it and why he he was the one to look inside the casket, for example, and yeah. to see that and to face that moment uh, of accepting and where the graves come up out of the ground and stuff. So like right. that was for him dealing with grief. And it's almost a it's almost like a poem in that regard about grief and about dealing with that as a young child. I find it interesting, too, that it was a three hour movie and they did do a, a, a test screen of it. it you know rated very poorly nobody liked it so they cut an hour and a half but but mainly what they cut was was character development yeah. and it was important to Cascarelli that he really wanted this relationship between um the brothers and a lot of it had to do with the fact that he never had a brother an older brother that could like look out for him and you know teach him and stuff so he kind of liked almost lived vicariously through that uh what yeah. he was building with that relationship and and he liked the idea of you know having a big brother and, and being able to have somebody to rely on him so for for a horror film to get a 90 minutes cut merely because they're trying to establish this 
relationship is kind of is kind of neat. I mean, I know essentially he wanted a, a horror film and he wanted to make a horror film set in a mortuary because he thought they were creepy, but he didn't yeah. have ex- he didn't have much of a you know basically wanted he's like I I know I wanted to make a movie in a mortuary, but that's all I've got. You know, and then of course you know he brings his dreams into it stuff. I, I can't imagine the uh, like the elevator pitch where it's like because if you try to if you try to give an elevator pitch for the movie, it's you're just like well it's about this caretaker who can change into a, a succubus who sends out flying silver balls to kill people through the long halls of the mortuary, and if you cut his fingers off, they turn into flying insects, and he bleeds baby food, <laughs> and there's evil Jawas, and there's another dimension yeah. that looks like what maybe hell might look like, and. Uh, that's why I love Phantasm. None of that makes any yeah. sense, man. It's just, but it's just, but, it's beautiful. You know, uh, when Mike at the end loses his brother, um, that terrified me because I'm like, this kid's all alone. Sure, he's got Reggie, you know, but he doesn't have that brother, you know, and that, like, there's just a feeling of terror mm-hmm. with that. And on a side note, yeah, when the when the tall man's fingers get chopped off and Mike brings one home and it turns in that fly, dude, <laughs> that freaked the shit on me today. Like, it's really true. Like, you remember, like, Phantasm has all these significant moments for me. When the tall man throws that casket into the back of that hearse, you know, I'm like, I'm terrified because I hadn't even been to that many funerals at that time in my life, you know. Now I was I was in grade school and I knew looking at I was like well I know that casket has to weigh a ton and this guy's yeah. carrying it like it's a shoebox. I remember just that distinctly being an image. Then another one was when the tall man's walking down that sidewalk. Yeah. And Reggie's opening in the back of the ice cream truck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and that you know cold air is coming out and the tall man turns and looks at Mike across the street and then does that yeah. thing like he's in inhaling the cold air or whatever and walks away that stuck with me dude and that fly like well actually the other thing that actually scared me man was that fortune teller chick when he yeah like i can't get my hand like that i just remember that freaked me out and um that that yeah. freaking fly just scared the hell out of me dude like they're going like this like his older yeah. brother is like trying to fight it's like how this fly is like stronger than anybody and then um i i want to share this with you guys when i saw that movie so it was on tv again i didn't get to see it in the theater i didn't get to see a lot of horror movies in the theater i lived out in the country so i was like 20 miles from the nearest town that had a theater for one then i had a single mom he didn't have a lot of time or money to take me to a movie. Though my mom bought me Fangoria magazine and Famous Monsters of Filmland, and I could watch horror movies at home, she wasn't always big on, like, you know, we're going to go see a movie? What's it rated? R? Oh, fuck. You're not going to watch a rated R movie. You know, you're <laughs> fifth grade or sixth grade, whatever. So I'd have to wait for shit to come on TV. And when that movie came on TV... It was on late at night. It was on at like 10 o'clock at night. It was like today, a Friday night right now, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember I remember it because the weekend was coming. And that particular night, I remember my mom came from a family of 10 kids. So she had a number of my aunts and uncles came over to hang out. And then they partied and all, they passed out in the house. So I had aunts and uncles sleeping in the living room and i'm like i'm watching this movie phantasm i saw the the, the commercials you know on tv this is going to be on channel 7 at 10 p.m Woo-hoo, you know i'm like yeah and i already knew about phantasm because of fangoria magazine because i my mom would buy me every issue since the first issue i was lucky that way it was pretty cool so i'm like yeah this movie i gotta see this man i watched it and Everything that happened had me on the edge of the seat, like, oh, my God, you know, the tall man terrified me. The little Jawa dead people terrified me. The balls in the mortuary, all that shit terrified me. And, man, dude, he gets to the end. Reggie's downstairs. I'm going to take care of you, Mike. Uh, 
Joey's gone, blah, blah. He's playing the acoustic guitar. <laughs> Go pack your stuff. And then that mirror and the tall man, and, you know, boy. When the fucking hands came through the mirror <laughs> and it went to the crack and that music yeah. kicked in. Yeah. That was the scariest, scariest <laughs> I've been, not only in the whole movie. The whole movie had me scared. That was like the ultimate blade of fear went right through my heart. I was so freaking terrified. I think I audibly went, ah! Little my aunts and uncles who were passed out woke up. And by this time, it's like almost midnight or whatever, you know? I'm the only one awake, pitch black house out in the middle of nowhere, central Wisconsin. I'll never forget that feeling. That's, it's funny how fear can be near and dear to your heart. Because I love that. When I think about it, I think about it fondly. But I was freaking so terrified, man. If I would have seen this as a kid... I can't even, I don't know how long it would take for me to begin even looking in mirrors. Like, or to be in a room with my back turned to a mirror. I'm like nine going on 10 years old when I saw that. I didn't want to be alone at night when my mom would go to work or go see her boyfriend. And I was alone while my sister was there. But my sister was never in the horror. So she wasn't terrified like me because I'd lay in bed at night thinking, Friggin' Michael Myers could be uh, roaming around outside in the woods in the country. And the tall man, like Jeremiah said, could be in my friggin' mirror. You mentioned the uh, fortune teller, the medium, or whatever she was. Yeah. In in, in uh, about a half a mile from my house, maybe a, maybe more like a mile, there was a, in the 70s, there was a um, road, because I lived out in the country too, and you turn around this road, there's really no houses around, and then there was like this one house kind of back in the trees, but near the road was this giant stone palm that was out by the street. It was just like this big palm statue. There was a palm reader that lived there. Now uh-huh. I never went in there, but it was just always this, you know, iconic thing that locals, you know, we would drive by on the way to the grocery store. I'd see that and be like, man, what's going on in there? Yeah. Doing, doing like magic in there or what? What's going on in there? But it was, <laughs> right. was kind of creepy, man. It had, yeah. Oh, yeah, had, dude. Big time. Yeah, so when I when I saw that when I saw that dude walk up to there, that bat, that house back off the road with the the hand on the sign that made me think of that. But I yeah. that that scene I take very little issue with anything in Phantasm, but there were a couple of things that did. It probably didn't bother me back then, but bothered me on on repeat uh, returns to the film. And that was like you know when he goes in in into the thing and, he, and he's talking to that old lady well she's not really talking but she's kind of talking through right. that, the blonde chick mm-hmm. and uh they're you know having him do this hand in the box thing to teach him teach him some kind of lesson about not fearing anything and i just thought yeah. it's things like that in movies where every time when a movie asks you to basically look inside yourself and you know it's foreshadowing for the end and that they're gonna there's gonna be redemption and it's gonna be some soul searching and it's just I, I I find that so cheesy, and so when he did this, it's like don't fear. And then he, I think at the end, twice he like heard the voice. You know, it's like don't fear. Yeah. And then it would it would get him out of it got him out of the mud and it got him out of a yeah another situation. Yeah. And I just thought, I don't know. That's just I love everything about that everything about the movie, with the exception of like probably that. The whole like I read I read uh, mm-hmm. somewhere I saw a video uh, a guy and a girl talking about this and they said that that was something actually taken from Dune yeah uh, there's a similar situation isn't isn't the phrase uh, fear is the mind killer fear yeah. is the mind killer yes yeah and yeah. this one was fear is the killer this one yeah. was fear is the killer yeah yeah and so it was kind of a and they use a and they use a box to so put your hand in it yeah 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 I think it's been a while but yeah I think they yeah. use a box where you put your hand in it too. I got a something too I wanted to run by you guys. If you're like me, I, I have an overactive imagination. When I see movies, like I'll see a character that the character might be short lived. Like I'll start thinking, wow, what's their backstory? You know, what, what are they all about? So if you guys remember, I'm sure Jeremiah, especially because you, you're fresh off seeing the movie and, and Chad, you've seen the movie enough times. 
and it, it's a memorable scene, there's like friggin' mortuary custodian, dude. Yeah. 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 Like Mike's running away from shit that the ball and this guy comes out and grabs him. What, yeah, what's his backstory, man? Like, is he in cahoots with the tall man? Have they been together for centuries? Because remember, Mike sees that picture of the tall man yeah. in that shop. Like, he's been around forever. Yeah. Which was you know, awesome, like, I thought. That was one of my but, favorite parts, man. But then, he, so he's got Mike. He's real evil looking. And, like, he's going to, all right, all right. He doesn't ask Mike nothing. Like, what are you doing in here, kid? But he just grabs ah. But the ball hits him and drills his friggin' brain, which, by the way, that's another memorable scene as a kid. Yeah, right? for sure. Right, and yeah. Flying yeah. balls with blades that have drills that, and the blood's coming out the back. Plus, when the dude hits the ground, Mike's in a corner look at him, and then the, the piss comes out. Yeah. They said that scene yeah. with the silver ball, that that, that originally yeah. warranted an X rating. No, no, not the oh, scene. Shit. The piss. Just oh, the, the piss. Oh, the urine did. Just the piss? Yeah. I didn't even yeah. know this. Yeah, that, that gave it, yeah, yeah, they originally warranted an X rating for it. Wow. And they talked him into, yeah, like not, not the ball, but the fact that the dude pissed his pants. I would say that, you know, because it lists the guy as a caretaker, you know, but I would say that, well, the backstory is in the, you know, the edits on the cutting room floor. The problem is, is that the, the, the tall man in the original doesn't even come in until almost halfway through the film. And so I don't know how much they would have the caretaker. I mean, maybe maybe he's in there more, you know, but it does seem kind of random, you know, like he's a guy that shows up and you know he's a scary dude and he's obviously in cahoots. He's not he's not a complete rando. I mean, that would be real bizarre if it's just like a guy who's also there, you know, bringing flowers and he sees a kid and decides to just go crazy and grab him and, and choke him and then die. So, I mean, obviously there's a backstory with that guy. I'm like... I didn't think about it then, but I revisited it yeah. recently too, uh, this last week, knowing I was going to be on your show. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, what the hell's the story on this guy? Yeah. <laughs> I was, I was thinking, yeah. I was thinking that same thing. And I noticed something when they very first show this, this, you know, this uh, caretaker slash custodian, he looks like a normal guy. But when they show him right before the ball, his eyes are all blue. He's got looks like he's got eyeshadow all over. I don't know if you noticed that, but then he. I, I noticed know if that was, there's like makeup on the dude's face. Yeah. Good point, Jeremiah. I think that you, yeah, the answer is probably on the cutting room floor. I've watched the first four Phantasms in the last few months, and okay. I had I'd never seen part three or four, and then in part four, I don't know if you guys, uh, Jeremiah, you haven't seen it. I don't know if you've seen it, Jeremy, but there's a ton of footage from. The original Phantasm that was never used in Part Four. Is yeah, one of those called Ravager? That's five. I yeah. haven't seen that. Okay, that's one I haven't seen either. I own it, but I haven't seen it yet. Part of me hates the idea that there are sequels just because they try to answer some of the questions that weren't answered in the original, and I like the right. fact that they weren't answered. But part of me also likes to revisit, you know, Reggie, uh, oh. that character. It just became so iconic, especially like in later films. But they they almost tried to, especially with like around part three, they really started. It, he started to feel like a like Ash from Evil Dead, but or more from like Army of Darkness, where he's like he's got one liners. You know, there's yeah. uh, I saw somebody asked the question over it. That was a bit mental. dot com about why is why are there so many unanswered questions. And I love the answer to it. And I, it plays into your idea about, you know, should they have done sequels and things like that and wrapped it up? I like what he said. He said, the answer, it would appear, is, quote, because this is Phantasm, shut up. And it's one <laughs> I'm perfectly happy with, actually. And I, I, would, I would kind of be down with that. I want to watch, I, I personally, I would like to watch the rest of them now. You know, but at the same time, there's part of me that agrees with, the, that was a bit mental.com. <laughs> say, say yeah. like, you know, I kind of like that there's all these, that it's just crazy. You're what you're watching is this wild ride, and there's, there's going to be a lot of unanswered questions, right? Um, and you just accept it and experience it in the moment, uh, and then walk away yeah. with this uh, a feeling from it. Before I went into the preparing for the podcast too, I went to a couple uh, Phantasm fan sites, and whatever the last installment was before Angus Scrim passed away. There are fans that were really sentimental saying how the very last, I don't know if it 
Chad, if you know, is there one, is five the last one or is there any? Yeah. Yeah. So five, I guess, has like a lot of the original cast and, you know, they're obviously older and that fans were like, I teared up seeing the original cast because they're portrayed as they should be now aged and they've come together for this final thing or whatever. So. Like when I read that, I'm like, shit, man, I want to watch, I need to watch all these in a row and see that last one. That'd be cool too, because they, when they decided to do a sequel, which was like, what, 10 years later, when they did that, the, the people who pumped the money into it didn't want the original characters. And right. they, they even made him pick between uh, uh, two different characters that were pretty central to it. And he had to pick one of the two. He couldn't have. He wow. couldn't have all of them. No kidding. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, wow. it was funny because a lot of the, the people in the film, the original one, I learned this, that the people at the funeral were relatives of the cast because they had hardly any money to deal with. Right. And so they just said, well, bring your family and stuff. And so those are actual like family members in that. And then they have, um, I, I always thought that it was um, dwarves or some kind of a little person inside of the the jawas right although it's not fair to say that because this came out they were recording this stuff and had already written it up uh more than a year a year and a half before people were really aware of anything to do with star wars Mm -hmm. um and so it's one of those things but they were actually the kids of uh the neighbor the writer's neighbor yeah because they they didn't have money again so they're like well hey your kids work out for this these are those are actual children which yeah. is really funny because there's a scene where the kid jumps on the back and they're spinning around. And, you know, the scene like you guys were talking about with the fly yeah. on the head and yeah. he's whipping it around going down the stairs. There were no stunt people in this. They couldn't pay <laughs> stunt people. And I thought, I remember a, a scene, I'm trying to remember which one it was, but I was like, my initial thought was, well, that's obviously a stunt person. I mean, there's no way that they would have that them do that. Oh, no, Jeez. it was kid. The people in that film did everything because they just didn't have the loot to do this. And so I thought that was a really cool thing. Also, also, man, it was the seventies. There's like a meme out there. I always see of this kid on an ancient 1970s frigging bike, like jumping out of a ramp, like 10 feet in the air. (laughs) (laughs) The kids flying down the stairs being filmed. There's no, OSHA, there's no stunt crew, you know, like, yeah, you know, what what happened to little Janet? Well, we filmed, she went right through the drywall, uh, <laughs> hit a two by four, but she'll be okay. She'll be awake in an hour and ready for dinner. So no worries. You know? It made yeah. a good film. <laughs> I remember, yeah, exactly. I remember <laughs> instead of being seat belted, I remember uh, all the time, man, being in the back seat, but leaning over yeah. the front seat like this, right in the middle, no seat yeah. belt or, or laying in the back where like the speakers are in the back of the car, laying in yeah. the little like thing right there, just chilling out. My dad and all his friends, all they ever drove were Ford F one fifty pickup trucks. You know, I go see again. My parents were divorced. I go see my dad on the weekend. Him and two of his buddies would get up front. My dad's got two kids, and the two buddies in the front seat were also single dads. All their kids and us, we're all in the bed, bed of the pickup yeah. truck. Flying around down country roads from one bar to another. Yeah, it's a accident. Where I am happen. today, thankfully. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. man, crazy. Yeah, just crazy shit, dude. I always say this nowadays, not to sound like old man Wagner, but you know, I was a '70s kid, yeah. born in 1970. When I look back, there's a quality in in seeing the '70s film whether it's halloween the omen the exorcist phantasm on and on there's a not just a level of fear that those movies have i mean like they're soberingly terrifying they're really done they're they're just Mm -hmm. there's just a reason why they're classic (laughs) horror movies but also the music and, and and the way it's done and everything is like it brings you back and i can remember being a kid (laughs) <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah. Sorry about the arm in the in the way. It's my wife. Oh, that's no problem. Hi. But I didn't know that about the kids being used. I did know 
that the film was done on a $300,000 budget at the time. Mm -hmm. And it was a mishmash of amateur actors and actresses and locals. Yeah, the cantina is a real cantina. And it was funny because I I watched a review where they were joking about how the set for the bar was really terrible and how it was really cheap. And I'm like, then I found out that's not a set. That's like a real bar. That's like a a real cantina. And the thing is, is that the owner of that was willing to allow them to do that so long as he's in it. And that's the guy. That's the guy dressed that way. That's 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 the real owner of that actual cantina. And so just another kind of cool fact. And what it it came out with, what, 11 million or something like that? So it was like it was like three hundred thousand to make, and they they made eleven yeah. million. So I mean, that's it was a success. <laughs> Mike, the the kid, he was what twelve in the in the twelve thirteen. He was supposed to be in the movie, and he's a perfect testament for a seventies kid. I mean, he 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 was riding a motorcycle. He was driving yeah. that sweet car. He was yeah. drinking beer. He had <laughs> shotgun. He had shotgun shells in his yeah. bedroom. And then when you get done driving it, you're working on it. You're underneath the hood. <laughs> yeah. 13 years old. Did you see how that bugger was? Uh, the the safety precautions on that thing there was like yeah. one jack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I said, oh boy. I said, well, he's 13 Dude. years old. Yeah. And, and, then yeah. It, and then it basically crushes him, but then he very easily comes out. Yeah. That scared yeah. me, man, actually, because that's one of those things like, you know, you mentioned Jaws, Jeremy. You mentioned that earlier. Yeah. Jaws, I, and I said this on another, on another episode, man. Jaws, just the whole concept. It has always terrified me. It's had a long lasting impact on me, even in wanting to swim in oceans and stuff like that. Jeremy, uh, Jeremiah has never seen Jaws. I've never seen the entire thing the whole <laughs> way through because I got so scared watching the clips that I saw. My friend, my friends would have it playing, what? you know? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's, it's true, man. It's true. It, I, and now I, I could go back now and watch it. But wow. see, here's the thing psychologically, get this, man. Yeah, uh, just seeing that as a kid, right? And like you, when you saw this, that as a kid, and you saw certain scenes that really were unsettling and messed you up, you know, and you're like, "Whoa, I don't know about mirrors and stuff." With 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 Jaws, I I'm a veteran of the United States Navy, right? And okay. when I signed in, I was going to be a crypto tech interpreter. My idea was, well, I'll be land, uh, you know, uh, stateside. I'll be on land most of the time. <laughs> you know, that's what I wanted in the Navy. And uh, and then they said, well, you know, 9-11 happened. I was signing in and they said, you got to the billets are all filled up. We are not taking any more CTIs. What yeah. be your second pick? And I had to think about that, man, because I'm like, all right, now I'm dealing with ocean. OK. Um, and I said, I'm going to submarines. And I said, because if I'm going down, dude, I'm dead. I'm done. Like, But if I'm but if I'm on an aircraft carrier and that bugger gets hit. I'm floating on top of that water and Jaws is going through my mind. And I'm like, no. So I, that's why I picked. I'm not even kidding, man. That is really why I picked submarines was I was like, Jaws, oh. bro. No way. But submarines me. didn't scare you at all. Like like the movies you see where the, the sub power goes out and you're now you're on the bottom of the ocean floor and you can't. No, you're, 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 a, you're, a, you're a goner by that would point. You at, would you rather die of claustrophobia and lack of oxygen than being out on open water with sharks. That, well, my logic, as I said, man, my, my logic was rooted in childhood fears. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was not at all like this logical I, thing that's like, oh, I, yeah, well, here's my reason. And I've was, got a friend yeah. of mine who's terrified of flying, terrified. He has yeah. to drink like, you know, four double Jack and Cokes and, you know, <laughs> and then pop like yeah. a pill on top of that shit to get on an airplane. And we've done vacations together where he's like, um, say like we went to Maui once. He lives in L.A. So his logic is I feel much more calm about this flight because we're going over water. I go, well, why? Well, if we crash, we crash in water. I'm like, dude. That airplane hits the water at 700 miles an hour. Yeah. It's going to obliterate. You're going to be ripped to pieces and atomized. And he just can't get his head around that. He's like, no, man, it's water. It's like, yeah, dude, it ain't a cushy landing, man. It's physics. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. But I, I brought I brought all that up because I was saying the car scene, dude. The car scene, when that happened and the car, boom, comes down. And by the way, that car is dope. That is yeah, that's dude, like that's one. Of, bad, that car is badass, dude. What what, what, it, what is it called? The the um uh, not Barracuda, Hemacuda, 
anyway, it's it's just, yeah, it's, I forget what it's called, it's a specific name, but man, that is just like one of the greatest cars of any movie, man. I, I just I absolutely loved it. But when that car <laughs> fell on him, that's another one of those fears, man, that I've always had since I was a kid. I had a, a friend who actually lost his dad that way, and my dad was into cars, and so he's always under there, and I'm always biting nails looking at it saying i don't know about that and he's like it's you know i got like 12 jacks what's gonna happen you know but but you know when i saw that i said if i was a kid like you and i would have seen that the car scene would have actually been one of those scenes that would have really freaked me out and every time i would have gone out to the garage with my dad i'd be like thinking have you not seen phantasm bro you might not want to be a mechanic (laughs) yeah right (laughs) Speaking of physics, uh, the uh, it was hilarious. And Jeremiah, you, when we briefly talked the other day about Phantasm after you had first seen it, you had brought this up too. Um, it's so funny that when when uh, they pull Mike out of the, the the other world, and he's like, "I know what they're doing." It's like they're slaves, and and, and the yeah. reason, the science behind what yeah. they're doing was so yeah. hilarious. And he said, "He's got to crush them because of the gravity and heat." <laughs> he just knew it man he he sees in there he goes through a portal to another dimension you know and i, yeah. I like that people talked about the frequency concept and the, you know so i i heard a, an analysis about this that was saying during the the day and age you know like the dawning of aquarius and the fifth dimension folks and that really tripped out song and and stuff um but that there were people who uh, we're talking about frequencies and that there's multiple dimensions and that it's based on different frequencies and everything. And there was a scene that I didn't understand. Why would they show the, the tuner, right? The tuning fork and show that for so long, they focused on that. And then right, when, when, jam, when Reggie's jamming on, uh, with, uh, what's his name? Jody. Yeah. Yeah. Fork. Remember that? Yeah. 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 And Chad, you said that was like a real, a song they wrote that song yeah it's amazing they're actually fantastic hot musicians hot love the frequency idea it's almost like if you had a, a multiverse model and the the hologram model kind of smushed together and fused with a lot of lsd 25 right and said this is this is what you get um i thought that was a fascinating thing but for him to go through this portal yeah and see those see those little guys and be like and then come out and have this answer like so quick Dude, and yeah. they, there was no questioning it was just like yes oh man that's nuts i'll share this with you guys this is just off wikipedia but i thought this is really great i made a note of this earlier there's this journalist from the austin chronicle named mark savlov and he said dreams and surrealism are an important part of phantasm and this journalist compares phantasm to the works of alejandro Jodorowsky, yeah. Doom, there you go. And Louis Bunnell in terms of weirdness. Yeah. 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 Journalist Savlov describes the film as an existentialist horror and a truly bizarre mix of outlandish horror, cheapo gore, and psychological mind games that purposely blur the line between waking and dreaming. Gina McIntyre of the LA Times describes the film as surreal and idiosyncratic. Muir writes that Phantasm purposely inhabits the half-understood sphere of dreams. It takes place in the imagination of a disturbed boy. I like that you used the word, that you, the review you cited used the word idiosyncratic because that's mm-hmm. exactly the word I used when I first saw it. I said, this movie yeah. is idiosyncratic. It's, it's in a league of its own. It'd be hard, you know, the, the comparisons, right, to the other directors. Actually, there's a couple movies uh, by them that I've, wanted to see and is on my list one that looks really bizarre it's a kid in a general's outfit and it's real taboo um you know but uh but the the description you can see the comparisons with that but this is this is in my opinion this is really really unique like it states it's a blending of dream state and waking state um time references are all weird you know like Did this happen? Did this not happen? You know, and I mean, what other movie has a guy in this vintage ice cream truck, this bald ponytailed ice cream truck driver that's playing very quietly three blind mice as he's driving at night? Like, so he does. He's not like shutting it off. It's just just playing all the time. 
you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know, that's his jam. He doesn't have a radio. He's like, oh no, this is good. This is good. This is good beat. You know, <laughs> like what's going on? Definitely, yeah. definitely one of a kind. It's like the, uh, it's like the Jane's addiction of horror movies. To your both your points, there's no movie I like it. That's what yeah. makes Phantasm extra special and why it sticks out to this day. Nothing can touch it. It's, it it stands alone, man. It's just that's special. I would love to, you know, some some of these intellectual properties like Friday the Thirteenth and I think the Nightmare on Elm Street, but they have like books, like novelizations, not just of the film, but things that branch off and have their own stories that they have like ghost writers or whatever. Right. Yeah. I would love to write a book in, in that world. Oscarelli's mom wrote a book about it. There were only 500 copies in the whole world though. About, about it or, or using that word, like a fictional book using that world, using that world. I believe. Let me, let me, let me see. Yeah. Book Mm -hmm. Don's mother, best-selling author, Kate Coscarelli wrote a novel adaptation based on the script. Is published in a limited edition in 2002. Only 500 copies were produced. You can read the oh, first man. nine chapters online, and I've got the link. We can share it on our on our social oh, media. Awesome! Yeah, so it is a novelization of the original. I like to see yeah. that. Yeah. I yeah. Like well, that. that's worth money. 500 of them. I wonder if it's shrunken down because of gravity. <laughs> <laughs> so Jeremiah, uh, our five star system rating here. Yeah. What, what do you give uh, overall thoughts on Phantasm? Uh, see, here's the thing. Is that for enjoyability, like like five and a half stars, like more than what we have, right? The yeah. enjoyability factor, it was just so much fun to watch and so bizarre to, you know, to watch the experience of it. Um, mm-hmm. It leaves you really wanting and needing, in fact, to watch it again. Um as you know, in a film, if, if I were to try to do like what Bob Pastorella was talking about to say it's in a specific genre, uh, the only problem is it's like a genre of its own. I mean, it's like this, it's, it's this remarkable thing. Um, but because there are a couple parts in there, because, because of the scene with the caretaker, right. And that's, a, that's a, a, I think an issue. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. And that they didn't really build on that. There are certain questions left unanswered that that could have and maybe even should have been answered i mean i'm and i'm okay with you know dangling chads right i'm okay with this kind of a thing because i like david lynch and he does that all the time you know he's he leaves unanswered questions and mysteries and stuff but this one was there were some that just were too random because of the editing and they had to cut it down okay Mm -hmm. so it's a consequence of that so it's not entirely a bad thing and i would have loved to have been able to see the full thing um but also because there's a scene in there where the music I mentioned earlier that I love the music and I think it's maybe one of the best songs of any movie like that. I think it's just perfect, but there's the scene where he's like, you're good boy. You know, that really iconic scene. But when he grabs the young guy and, and drags him outside, they're playing that song. Like you were saying that it's kind of the same song and it just has different parts. And I said, that Mm -hmm. scene is it's almost as if that song had a bridge that was yeah. a little bit more lighthearted than the rest of yeah. the song. And that bridge is what was played during that scene. And it didn't fit. I felt that the, the attitude of the, the scene and the attitude of the song did not blend. And it was the only time. So I'm going to give it a four, eight. Okay. I'm going to give it a 4.8. I think it's an awesome film. It's iconic, idiosyncratic, it's scary, right? You know, kids, I can imagine, are terrified. I would advise, though, for any any viewers that are concerned about parental stuff, there is nudity in it and uh, mm-hmm. a couple places. In fact, IMDb lists only one, but there's two. The very opening scene mm-hmm. involves some. And at the 20, I think it's around the 20-minute mark, 19 or 20 minutes. Um, and so I would just caution about that. But 4.8, 4. happily. What about yourself, Jeremy? I'd like to give it a five, but I know I know this from revisiting it recently, and and I understand it's low budget. There's uh, continuity issues with a couple of things. Like I don't let shit ruin stuff, but I, man, in this day and age, it's funny because with IMDb, you can see goofs and continuity issues. And yeah. I, I mean, look, Jaws. I love Jaws so much. I'm such a big fan. And I just found out 
um, over the weekend that um, if you guys, well, Jeremiah doesn't count because <laughs> he's the yeah. <laughs> one person on planet Earth that has drive it. Just, just uh, kidding, bro. <laughs> just, <laughs> uh, but there's a the scene with the rowboat guy in the pond where he's yelling over, "Hey, you guys are right over there!" And Jaws tips the boat over, and then the, you see the leg go down to the bottom. And when the rowboat rolls over and the guy flies out, he's not wearing shoes. Oh, yeah. So. There's weird, there's some continuity things. That's the only thing keeping me from giving it a perfect score because I love, even though it was low budget and, and, and a lot of newbies were in the cast, they all did a great job. I mean, the story, everything we're talking about, there's no movie like it, the originality, and then the music, the soundtrack, the fear, the terror, everything about it is 5.5. It's the continuity. Like Mike, the kid, there's a scene where he's wearing blue jeans and then he opens the door, or goes out of. I can't remember if it's a car or a house. His pants are brown, not blue. And like the tall man, the finger scene that we all know, where it turns into a fly. Mm -hmm. When he slams the door, the tall man's fingers aren't chopped in the door. So I know I saw real anal retentive, and like, you know, <laughs> wow, dude, you're a real stickler for shit. You're freaking bummer. But just little things like that is the only thing keeping me so. Like Jeremiah, I would say 4.8. It's that close to being a 5. Phantasm fans, understand I love the movie. Don't hate me because I didn't go all the way and I'm a stickler for shit. But it's the only thing keeping it from being completely perfect. Dude, it's like if you read a novel and either there's a continuity problem that somehow got published, you know, like main, a character was a brunette and then was a blonde later or... There's a shitload of typos. The disbelief is suspended when that that shit comes sticks out. Then you you know what I mean. It's like it gets yeah. in your head. So that that's the that's the only thing keeping me from giving it a five out of five. But I got to be clear, it's one of my favorite horror movies. Yeah. It was in my top three to talk about on your show today, and uh, I love it. It still holds up to this day. That's. That's my two cents. Uh, I wanted to thanks. say something before we get Chad's rating. Um, you mentioned suspended disbelief, right? And you also mentioned that it has a lot of newbie actors and stuff. I was amazed at how easy it was to believe that they were like real brothers. And that chemistry amongst the, the cast was pretty remarkable. I mean, even the scene where they're playing guitar together. Like, mm -hmm. you can tell there was a, a camaraderie there. And that yeah. you could you could sense oh, it was very easy to get lost in the movie and to forget that these are mm -hmm. actors playing a part because they were doing yeah. so well at at the chemistry, not only with their own character uh, and with the story and with the, the tempo and the mood and everything else, but with each other. And so that's right. a huge kudos to the, the cast. I mean, that's especially because they are newbies. They're not, you know, yeah. standouts and stuff. The casting is brilliant angus scrim the tall man that will forever be one of the great legendary horror film villains in my opinion so therefore that that casting genius what would you rate this as chad um yeah, chad, where are you at <laughs> <laughs> yeah first of all it's one of my favorite horror movies for sure uh just such originality the nostalgia and, and, you know, the little boy in me or whatever gives it like a five for sure, just because it's something that I can look past all of the, you know, issues that I might have with it and just in, enjoy it for years to come. Just as like this feel good thing, you know, whether it's on in the background or I put on before I take a nap or, or something like that. It's just something that puts a smile on my face. But as a true like overall rating, I do re recognize some of the flaws that it has, not necessarily in like. Uh, the acting or anything like that, because I did really love the characters, but mainly in some of the, the, I mentioned my biggest problem earlier was the, the cheesy, like look within yourself. Don't be afraid thing. But there was one other issue that I had with it. There was essentially this like Scooby-Doo let's catch the bad guy trap that they had set. It felt very much like Scooby-Doo, you know, 
Yeah. Like they rigged up this thing where they have them chase just like they do in Scooby-Doo, have them chase, uh, you know, into this trap. And then somebody else is going to be somewhere else pushing boulders to, you know, to finish the trap <laughs> off. <laughs> you know, and it was just, it, it felt a little anticlimactic, I guess, for me. <laughs> and because this guy was so, you know, it's like, wow, who is this tall man? You know, this weird, you know, alien dude or whatever. And then he goes out like that. If it wasn't for you rascally kids, you know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Meddling kids. Yeah. And so I'm with you guys, a 4.8. But again, just, you know, just for the, for something that's like feel good nostalgia, just for me personally, on a different like level, I can easily have it be a five. It'll always be one of my favorite movies. But I also, it's also a movie where it's not like, where if somebody says, hey, I'm looking for, great horror movies to watch on uh shutter tonight if they're like 25 years old i'm not going to be like you got to watch phantasm because they might not like it right you know you might have to be uh a little older and to be able to at least like jeremiah taste a little bit of that 70s you know otherwise yeah if you're in your 20s or something like i watched it actually i watched it with uh i think it was like a year or two ago my my old or my youngest son right now is 15 i think he was 13 at the time and he kind of laughed a little bit through it you know he yeah thought it was kind of cheesy so it's not something that i would recommend toward but if if somebody my age and they're like oh, i've never seen that i'd be like oh dude you gotta watch it it's yeah. funny you mentioned scooby-doo uh trap i never thought of it like that but the way you just explained that immediately made scooby-doo is like my favorite cartoon one of them of all time to this day the original Scooby-Doo, one of the one of the best-known villains, one of my favorites, was a guy called the Creeper. And if you think about the Creeper, it's kind of funny because the Creeper is kind of like the tall man, this yeah. big, huge guy, you know, yeah. hair at the face, like yeah. But yeah. yeah, I really like your assessment, Chad. Yeah. Before <clears throat> we go, Chad, did you walk away with any any sagacious illumination for us, man? Well, you know, uh, after watching Phantasm. Uh, I'm I'm really grateful for both the level of gravity and heat that we have here on planet Earth because if the heat and the gravity were any different, we'd all be we'd all be a bunch of three foot slaves. Yeah. <laughs> this close to wearing robes on Mars, man. Yeah. What yeah. about you, Jeremy? You, you, what something that changed you and made you really think about consider your life and and how you might want to live it from here on out yeah man you know if i was ever getting it on like donkey kong at midnight in a cemetery and i was looking up at this beautiful maiden and she all of a sudden transformed into the tall man i would close my eyes really hard and i would click my ruby red slippers and beg to go home because i'm in the wrong date and this is not going well and so yeah that's uh that's my moral lesson, man. I, that's exactly exactly <laughs> what I took away from this. All things considered. So, Jeremy, you, uh, Jeremy, what is it? Slash Wagner.com? Is that your website? It's uh, Jeremy-Wagner.com. Yeah, da- dash, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And Facebook, and, I think, is like Jeremy Wagner Official or something. Or I think I should know, but I think that's right. <laughs> I'll, I'll put it as a banner at the bottom of the screen, and that way it's there for the video for everybody. But, man, it is, it's been really a pleasure, man, and it's been funny. And I'll tell you, man, I got to say this. Other than that you've shamed me into w- having to watch Jaws, it's one of these things now <laughs> I simply have to do. I'm, I'm a big boy now, okay, Jeremy? Uh, I can do this. But, Jeremy, um, I, my only wish is uh, I wish I could have watched – been with you when you saw Phantasm for the first time, and I wish I could be with you when you see Jaws for the first time. Just to, yeah. just to see your reaction. But uh, watch the whole thing, damn it. <laughs> oh, I watch believe me, I will now. And, yeah, and I'll give you credit, man. I'll have to. I'll, I'll post about it and uh, and talk about my experience and stuff. I think it'd make for a really good video. But I'm I'm so glad. No, that'd uh, be great. That you came on, man, and I'm excited um, to read your book. You know, I, I'm really excited to read it when I, I just, I loved, as I said earlier, I loved watching the the interviews with you talking about it um, and to become familiar. Oh, yeah. With- that reminds me if um, Chad has my uh, email address. So, Chad, if you would give it to him, 
Send me a note, Jeremiah, and I'll send you a care package of books. Oh, yes, you are the man. All right? <laughs> yeah, man. You know, for well, sure. I yeah. didn't know you were in the Navy. Thank you for your service. Oh, thank wow. yes. Thank you very much, Seriously. man. I appreciate it. So, And other than that, you guys, Jeremiah and Chad, really great being a guest on your show. It means a lot to me. This is fantastic. I had a lot of fun. Chad. Yeah, man. You and I haven't really connected this way before, so it was a real pleasure to talk to you and for sure about one of our favorite horror movies and all that man and uh i can't thank you guys enough this has really been a blast yeah yeah you were the first people that i thought of i thought um he's and i even thought as like he's probably not going to want to talk about the thing or jaws you're but, absolutely right but but i'm so glad that you chose phantasm when i saw that on your list i was like i i, I didn't know if i had to talk jeremiah into doing that one or not but i was like I mean, I like I like them all, but I was yeah. like, I really want to do that. One. I want, and that's yeah. the one I wanted. I was like, well, dude, I'm like, yeah, man. I watched the preview, and I was like, dude, Phantasm. I, I even tweeted, I, I messaged that to him. Just, I think that was just one word, Phantasm. Like, we are yeah. we are doing this. So when Chad confirmed that we were going to talk about Phantasm, I made a point to revisit the movie and uh, dig up some other facts again. How how the cast was pulled together. Again, those journalist quotes, that type of thing. Yeah. So I wanted to come armed with it fresh and, and and throw that out there. So to that end, I also thank you, Chad, for choosing Phantasm because mm -hmm. it's really awesome to revisit it again, man. And it yeah. and having this discussion with you guys like kind of floored me in a way to realize how brilliant this movie is on so many levels and how it stands the test of time today, all these years yeah. later. So Sounds good. Well, thank you so much, man. Yeah. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Make sure to check us out on social media. You can find us, of course, on Facebook and on YouTube and on Twitter and Instagram. And you can do that by following Paleo Cheese, P-A-L-E-O-C-H-E-E-Z-E. -E -E. Same thing with our Gmail, paleocheese at gmail.com. And, of course, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. We, we've been saying iTunes. It's Apple Podcasts. And uh, Google Play and Spotify and Acast and all of that stuff. And make sure to check out other podcasts at projectentertainmentnetwork.com. Yo, what's going on, everybody? My name is Duncan, and I'm the host of the podcast, Hash Time with Duncan. On this show, I tackle all the biggest sports stories between the hashes and beyond. If it's a big story, I'm going to talk about it and give you my opinion on it. Subscribe to my show wherever you get your podcast. All you have to do, search Hashtime with Duncan. And you can follow the show on Twitter at Hashtime with D. Peace.